Unfortunately, we can't see our pain in a vacuum. So we have all these lovely little social systems that allow us to bounce our pain off of each other so that we can learn how to crawl our way out of the fear of aloneness. My name's Antonia. Welcome to The Next Dimension. Talking about the state of aloneness, our perpetual feelings of isolation, not feeling seen, not feeling heard, or fear of being misunderstood. That's a classic. That's an epidemic in and of itself. All of which are expressions of our terror of abandonment, our fear of rejection. I'm hoping to bring into focus how we've been living in and continue to live in an all-encompassing and enduring feeling of pain throughout all parts of humanity, across all ages, all geographies, all sexualities, all genders or non-gendered, all religious backgrounds, skin colors, abilities, states of privilege. In these deep and perpetual states of aloneness and isolation to which we are all born, or most of us, We have built big and small social technologies to manage the terror of feeling our isolation, to help manage our terror of abandonment. And the far-reaching, all-encompassing social technology that is there to mitigate or manage or hide our devastating fear of abandonment is the tribe. So what does that mean? Tribe. And tribe versus collective. What is the difference? Why does it matter? And what does that have to do with pain? So, what I'm going to be saying is that the social, economic, political, and religious organization of human beings is tribal. And I'm saying that the tribal state that we exist in now, and I believe we've existed in since our recorded history, is a state held together by and organized around suffering. The tribe is the social space, the interactive space where our individual pain stories play themselves out in a group. So pain is held in the bodies, but it is suspended in contract between us, an agreement between us. And this shared reality is perceived through many, many, many lenses constructed out of pain. Pain, which is far from truth far from consciousness, a dream within a dream within a dream. And the primary pain that is the glue to tribal existence is fear. And the primary fear is fear of abandonment, which is the fear of the terror of aloneness, right? Follow that? And all this is broad statements, I know, of course, and I'm using the inadequate Uh, use of words to communicate this concept, but I'm trying to generate a feeling. See, what I'm trying to 
be directing you towards and inviting you to look at and to bring you into focus is this pain state that we've existed in as human beings and that we've not really seen for what it is because it's cloaked, it's hidden. So we couldn't have seen it. And really, we shouldn't have seen it. We come down here so that we don't see it. It needed to be this way. It still needs to be this way for most people at this time. Because we need to really experience that density for what it is. And we need to experience not being in it when we're ready to. We need to experience coming down here in this deep, beautiful dungeon. Crawl around in the dark. Beat each other over the head with clubs for a few thousand years. In order to find out that it really doesn't work. In order to really find out how powerful we are to get ourselves out of that dungeon. To find out that our power is in the creative construction of love. The construction of consciousness. Which is the healing power within us. We come into this dense three-dimensional space with the feeling of separation. With the terror of isolation in our very bodies, right? This is so important and this is the thing that mind really doesn't want us to get. This is the thing that our ego superstructure really doesn't want us to get, right? That this terror of isolation is in our very bodies. And this plays out in how we organize ourselves socially. In fact, we've organized ourselves historically as a way of trying to quell that very terror of aloneness, of separation in order to try and bring some reprieve to the deep, deep sense of disconnection that we come here to experience that this place is really all about. I believe it is really the central pillar in our organizational structures. So the tribal state is the social organizational manifestation of that pain. It is how we experience each other and each other's pain stories. It is how we see each other through these lenses of the social organization of pain. I believe we see each other and usually don't even know it by how that person, how that structure alleviates my sense of aloneness, serves my need for validation. So now, however, at this time, we have a growing opportunity. And I believe it is vital and scary and antisocial and anti-tribal and rejecting to see these social systems for what they are and to see them as a way of seeing ourselves. So what do I mean by that? That means that at this stage of the game, when we are on the journey out of the tribe, the people we have in our life are there to reveal how the disconnection, how the aloneness, how the separation, how aspects of the tribe still show up in me, how I continue to play them out. Our interaction with the external world is a reflection of what's going on within me, in my internal world, because I'm going to engage with others who share the same perception as me, who have the same evolutionary projects as me, who have agreed to play out the pain infrastructure together. I bring into my sphere what resonates with my being and with my density. So to see how we are experiencing each other, how we've organized ourselves, how we resist each other, is actually to see what we are holding within our unique individual bodies at this time in our journey. That's what it's for. And what is within me 
the individual vessel in this dimension is my own unique expression of the state of aloneness that all humans have been living in. And my unique expressions of aloneness bounce off your unique expressions of aloneness. Now, it may not be in humanity as a whole as one big body, but it is in each one of us. It is the great divide that we all feel, that we have felt between I and everyone else, the divide between us and them, the us and them story. We have existed in the tribe in order to find the, and I have air quotes going, the safe alliance. The safe alliance in a reality defined by an us versus them framework, right? It is the place where we believe we can find some shelter from the great terror we feel in our aloneness and in everything out there feeling like an adversary. The tribe has been perceived as and experienced as a safe haven in our perpetual timeless state of aloneness. The most basic tribe that we cling to dearly to this day, almost universally, is the family. Now, my intention is not to crap on the family, but to have an honest but compassionate look at the role the family has played in maintaining pain throughout human history. It was the family that formed the tribal center, right? It was an easy and necessary way to define the us and them. We survived because we found acceptance in the family tribe and by extension, the clans, for example. And it has been the foundation of our survival. As infant children, we are at the mercy of our caregivers. As babies, we are entirely dependent upon the beneficence of our parents to survive more than any other species, I've been told. As women, we've been at the mercy of the male heads historically. As adults, we're at the mercy of our tribal leaders. And so in order to survive, we needed to acquire and maintain that approval of the heads of our tribal structure. We have been dependent upon their approval. To do otherwise was to literally meet your death. Death by your tribal leader, or death by the other tribe, or death by your father, or death by your husband, or death by your mother, or death by your religious leader. And this fear clings to us to this day. And then there are those that strategically move themselves into positions of power in order to mitigate their fear of abandonment. Instead of me needing you to survive, you're going to need me, is the logic. And they use the technologies of oppression to ensure they are not alone, to make sure they're not abandoned, to manage their own fear. This fear of aloneness, of separation, of abandonment governs most, if not all, of our current social, economic, political systems. It is the organizing principle of all of us everywhere. We are either struggling to get approval and or we struggle to be able to oppress in order to secure compliance from others to ensure that they're always on our side. It governs all of us at all levels. Sometimes it's painfully obvious and sometimes, most times, it operates in a more covert way. I'm going to make a bold statement or maybe just an educated guess and say that there isn't a place on this planet that has escaped it. There isn't a place that lives without that lens of fear through which we see the world and each other. I believe this drive in us is operating even when we don't know it's operating, especially that we don't know it's operating. It's important that we don't know it's operating to date. It is just so much a part of how we exist. It's a reflex. 
But what also comes with it is the delusion that this tribal system actually still works. The delusion that living in our current system does assuage us of our terror of aloneness. That this social system protects us from the fear of separation. At some visceral level, we continue to look for the approval of our heads of family and heads of state and partners, and we usually don't even recognize we are doing it. And what that seeking of approval and requiring the other, usually specific others, right, to see us in order to feel safe, to feel okay, what this does is actually continue to perpetuate the system of fear. It keeps it in place. It ensures its survival. It ensures fear is the primary bond in our social structures because we keep playing it out. Because we keep looking in the wrong direction for safety. Because we continue to look toward the other to ensure my survival. And therefore it keeps us from looking within where my fear of separation really exists. The pain keeps asking us to look outward to everyone and everything else to alleviate my suffering. The pain infrastructure asks us to keep looking to my father to tell me I'm okay. It asks us to look to my husband to tell me I'm safe. To look to my employer, to my political leader, to my neighbor, to my dentist. And it does it in a way that we're not even aware of. It asks us to look at my police or my head of state or my neighbor or my grocer. It asks us to look anywhere outside of me to tell me I'm valuable, worthy, lovable. We are constantly looking for another to tell us our worth. Our rage against people is because we have felt their refusal to grant us this approval. Chew on that one for the next five years. Because they refuse to see us, validate us in the way our pain wants it to, we rage. When people reject us, and often we don't even know or allow ourselves to define it as rejection, then we feel that we need to respond by telling them off, showing them our power, telling them where to go, returning the rejection. But really our rage is because we're scared and hurt that we did not receive their validation, that they didn't see us, that they didn't cooperate with us. And so our rage comes in to try and protect us. Of course, we can get a little hit of approval from people every once in a while. We can experience another seeing us for a moment, maybe a year, maybe a decade. But usually this is fleeting, right? It disappears. It changes. And of course it would. Because we're asking another human who lives in this dimensional space, who is riddled with their own pain infrastructure, to see outside of their pain anytime we need in order to feel safe. We're asking them to see us and take our pain away. Which, I'm suggesting, is not possible. We've been trying it for thousands of years. It doesn't work. Often, we are stuck for years in patterns of asking another human, who is typically blinded by their own fear, to see us. We can have moments of great seeing, and great connection, and love, and awareness. Yes, of course we can. But it will always be stolen by the objectives of the pain infrastructure. The pain will steal our attention, their attention, in order to be able to cope with their fears and shames and rages and griefs and guilts and despairs that we all have within us. So the family, back to the family for just a moment. This is the sacrosanct haven 
for heavy, deep, protected pain stories. It is the place where we so desperately want to be seen, feel that we need to be seen, fight to be seen, or to surrender to some truth that we will never be seen. It can be the place where we are the least seen. We have entire professions that come out of the pain of not being seen by the family, such as mm, psychology and psychotherapy. And these have come around only recently when there's like a small crack in the family armor where we could see through, right? That permitted people to discuss the pain of their family, but only within the safety of a professional ethic that was sworn to secrecy. Within the family, most are terrified of experiencing abandonment. And that fear is known at visceral levels because someone will manipulate others with threatening abandonment, right? Do what I say or I'm leaving. We can compromise ourselves in deep, painful ways in order to try and keep someone from leaving us because that is an overwhelming terror to confront. But what I'm seeing right now is people coming to me saying, whoa, I I can't do it anymore. I think it's possible I don't have to do it anymore. I don't want to take that anymore. I don't want to carry that pain forward. I don't want to live that way, behave that way. Agree to support another who behaves that way. I can't be held hostage, threatened, ignored, or have family members throw up their pain on me, telling me they have the right to do so because blood is thicker than water. Not anymore. So they're finding creative, if not extremely uncomfortable ways of creating space between them and the tribe, of distancing themselves from the pain stories of the tribe. And sometimes that's just a really hefty boundary. Sometimes that's a bit of renegotiating. And sometimes it's even walking away from the tribe. Which means that they are walking away, really, from the pain and the systems that hold that pain. And the pain generated when we walk away from that tribe can shake us to our core. It ripples through the pain body and threatens us with death. It is leaving the cult. The courage to do so is enormous. They are walking away from the social system that told them they needed the family to survive. That by walking away, they were committing the most serious betrayal, the biggest sin. Risking their immortal soul, maybe. But in disconnecting from that system of pain, in whatever subtle or gross way that they choose or need to, in undertaking the courageous step of taking care of themselves, they are walking right into themselves. Or more accurately, they find creative ways of walking right into their own pain, their pain, the pain they are holding within their own beings. Not someone else's pain, not everyone else's pain. Their own pain, their own stories, their own delusions. Which means people are taking ownership over the pain as it shows up in them. Because the truth is, they had inherited it from their families, from their tribe, just as much as their parents inherited it from theirs. And once you're an adult, well, who else is going to own it? So we see it in ourselves, and we own it, and we make the decision not to carry it forward, which is the evolutionary process. Now, I'm not suggesting that everyone on this journey just get up now and leave that family. Not at all. What I'm saying is that examining yourself, what I'm saying is that examining yourself and the uncomfortable stuff that shows up can help you 
Help us reveal how we have institutionalized, systematized, and hidden pain. That we can see, maybe with new eyes and not take for granted, the way that the family has operated. That we can see, maybe with new eyes and not take for granted, that the way the family is operated is just the way it's supposed to be. That you can see that if you're uncomfortable, if you're in pain, then there is an infrastructure there that can be examined and brought into awareness. And know that if that infrastructure is in your family, you may need some help in bringing awareness because we all walk around with giant bags over our head when it comes to our family drama. It is the most threatening and the most hidden tribe there is. When we allow ourselves to see the pain stories in our families, without judgment, but with giant boundaries, then we elevate the frequency. We are evolving out of the tribe when we look at the trauma. Because by seeing the pain that we inherit from the family and then going about the work to release it from our bodies, we are releasing ourselves from the most powerful pain infrastructure on this planet. The family has held hidden within itself deep pains, which have allowed these pain stories to continue through the generations. And this has always been protected underneath some title of sacredness. I think it is safe to say that the family has protected its secrets in many, if not most nations around the world, and for much of recorded history. It has been touted as the sacred institution to be supported by both political and economic systems of power. Protect the family, encourage the family, support the family. Of course, for most of history, systems of power have been held by men. So supporting the family, which has been a patriarchal stronghold, also held by men, right? It has made good political and economic sense to do so if we're trying to keep and hold onto your power. So by allowing ourselves to challenge the pain stories held tight and firmly protected, family or otherwise, we are participating in breaking the bonds of pain. But challenging at this stage is not about toppling or raging against or manipulating Because in doing that, then we continue to feed that dense energy, that pain energy. We keep the pain story alive. By challenging, I'm suggesting that we examine, explore, and own, and release pain stories that come into focus, that we bring into awareness, into the pain story, any pain story. And the family will be one of those places that will resist being examined. So it is our job to find the places where the tribe has dictated terms. Terms we're not even conscious of and begin to allow ourselves to really see, to really examine if we are engaged in a dynamic that actually holds and upholds stories of pain, of oppression, of invisibility. When we let go of those patterns, no matter the source, then through our process of healing, of releasing those stories, the energy of love and genuine connection are allowed to come through. But we connect to where there is love, which is with others who are able to live in that love. And what we're finding out more and more is that those people might not be genetically connected. But if they are about taking ownership over their own pain, if they're about meeting with authenticity and compassion, that is where real love resides. Families that are holding on to their pain stories are going to be resistant to what I'm saying. 
harmonious families where consciousness flows will will receive this as a call to greater love versus any threat to the institution of the family. So the family is the most challenging place, but this also means that it is the place that holds the greatest evolutionary opportunity, opportunity for expansion. When we choose to do the hard work of really looking at the painful behaviors of our families, we not only face the inherited stories of pain, but we're also looking at the deep, deep fears of rejection and abandonment that always come when we choose to distance ourselves from these places of protected pain. To really see the pain stories that have been held in place, held in the dark, and have been beyond scrutiny for so long challenges that externally held story that says, but I need you to tell me I'm okay. I need you to tell me I'm worth loving. And this seeing is happening all over this continent. It could be happening in many other places, but I'm not informed enough to speak on everyone else's behalf on the rest of the planet. But these days, it is so common for people to arrive at my door or arrive at my online door from all across the world wanting to talk about the family and what is not working, but feeling weighed down by guilt, afraid that to talk about their families in a way they feel will be perceived by others and themselves as betrayal. But the drive to release the pain has become greater than the need to not be seen by their tribe as disloyal. That is breaking the bonds of the tribe and moving into the collective. There is so much more to be said about the family in the third dimension that I'm going to have a whole module available to unpack about this topic. What we're figuring out, we're going to find out quickly, is that in a very, very deep and real way, the entire journey is not going on out there. It is not going on in our external world. It's not going on in the family dynamic. It is not going on in my job. And it's not going on in my politics. It's absolutely not going on in my politics. What we are bringing into focus is that what is going on out there is actually revealing then what is going on within me. The only thing going on out there is maybe Mother Earth cheering us on and giving us some good advice and some good medicine to assist us in raising this frequency. But actually there's nothing happening there. It is all in here, in our beings, all of it. It is an inward journey. All of the adventure, all of the rewards, all of the challenges and trials and tribulations and monsters and devils, they're all in here. The tribe, however, is still very much connected to everything that's going on out there. It is concerned about where the tribe is. Who's in the tribe? What are they doing in the tribe? And am I safe in the tribe? Or where do I find the safest tribe? We are in the tribe and we are continually looking to the tribe to tell me who I am. Meaning we are playing out the pain infrastructures in this dimension. Now, I am cautious to say this, but even worship is tribal. The transaction of worship. The intention of worship is often... I will give you my devotion and my intention and my love and my faith. And you in turn will give me an assurance that things will turn out in the end, that I will be granted something, favors, grace, enlightenment, that you will ensure my value here and in heaven, for example. There is a giving away of power 
for the alleviation of pain. Take my power and tell me I'm going to be okay. That is pain-driven, and it therefore may keep the pain alive in this dimension and within you. My pain is outside of my power, is the idea. My reality is outside of my own power, is what it says. And I would say that that's a pain-filled framework. The journey is to know, I have no idea who I am, but I know it's all already within me, the power and the pain. I think that is a high-frequency framework. Now, that does not mean that we disregard the other players in this dimension, because to disregard, ignore, holding contempt is still to play out pain. All of that is not a reflection of love. But we can be with others that see their reality differently than I do, than you do, than we do, and still hold them with compassion and with love. We have to. Others are going to. They must have their journey at their time. Our job will then be to practice honoring another's pain and their journey with that pain. It will be to continue building healthy energies on this planet. Contribute positive social systems, for example, but without dragging our own pain stories in with us like stinky old laundry. Because we're going to be looking at our pain stories so we don't drag them around. We're doing our work within us. So when we show up elsewhere, we're not as emotionally invested in what everybody else's pain is doing. And we are really, we're not allowing our pain to be emotionally invested because it will want to, it will try. We do not bring our fear to the table. We show up with our families and our neighbors and our community kitchens and our walks for the environment and donate to housing projects and share our food with the hungry. We be with the discomfort without being the discomfort and without needing the discomfort that shows up to be anything but what it is. But what we do not bring are our judgments or our expectations or our terror or our shame or our rage or our righteousness. We just bring love. Love.